Welcome to the Pet Project Podcast with Sarah, the creator of PetProjectBlog.com. This is your weekly dose of news, views, and activities to help you strengthen the human-animal bond. I'm Steve, producer of the show. This week, we talked to Sarah about her experience with pets growing up and how it shaped her approach to PetProjectBlog.com. Sarah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from, uh, and what was your experience with pets uh, as a kid? Okay, I grew up in West Texas, and um, pretty much in the 70s and 80s, and at that time, uh, most of the people that I knew, and we were included, didn't have their pets inside. And it wasn't until, I think I was in the ninth grade, that um, the cat that we had was allowed to live inside. And that was the first time that I really got to understand just what a pet was like, you know. And um, then I went away to college and I had to leave my cats behind and miss them. And one of the first things that I wanted to do when we graduated was go get my cats. So I flew back to Texas and got our cats, or got my cats, and brought them back. And because we didn't have any money, I had to do a lot more to take care of them myself, like give them their own backs their vaccinations and to groom them myself. And I really started learning a lot more about what it takes to take good care of your pets. Did you grow up on a farm with a lot of animals or ranch or what? Tell me about the place where you grew up. Um, no, I grew up in just like a regular house. There was a fair bit of wildlife around still. It's in a desert and everybody in the neighborhood had box turtles that they had rescued. They come out after the rain and they get out on the highways and people just always stop and pick them up and stick them in their trunk and take them home and put them in their backyard. Um, so everybody had turtles and um, also there were, we had alleys in our behind our house that it wasn't paved so it was kind of like this funny little stretch of desert that was filled with horny toads. And, you know, when you were bored, you were tired of playing whatever you were playing with your friends, we would go into the alleys and go hunt for horny toads. And, you know, you could get babies that were about the size of a quarter and bigger ones. And everybody knew, you know, just kind of the folklore of us being kids that if you turn them over on their backs and you rub their tummies, they would just like lie there and relax because it felt good. So you would have like a pet for a day, you know, playing with your horny toad. <laughs> Makes me think of Dennis the Menace having a horny toad in his uh -huh. overalls, you know. Yeah. What is a horny toad? It's a, it's a lizard that is, um, instead of being long and skinny, it's round and flat, kind of like a little sausage patty. And they have horns, not big horns, but horns on their heads. And apparently, if you get them really upset, blood comes out of their eyes as a defense mechanism. But we were we were nice to them, like none of the kids were mean to them. So I never saw the whole blood thing. It was a lot more fun to have them relax in your hand and rub their tummies. What were your cat's names growing up? Um, well, the very first cat that we had was in New Mexico, and actually, to go back to your other question about growing up in a like in a rural area, when when I was uh, before I was five, we lived in a mining camp in New Mexico, and so this was the early seventies, and 
uh, even though my parents weren't hippies, there was definitely this whole um, self-sufficiency, back to the land kind of movement. Plus, we were poor, so we had we raised rabbits for food, and my father had guinea hens, and we had honeybees that he kept too, and had a huge vegetable garden. And so, really, from the time that I was a baby, I was around animals and was I was helping. Well, I was at least watching when they were being taken care of, like when my mother was taking care of the rabbit babies that had been rejected by their mother and she'd brought them in and was feeding them with an eyedropper. And our first cat there was named Skoshi, which is little bit in Japanese. Um, and I had always wanted one of the rabbits to be a pet, but they were never pets. They were food and I actually hated how they tasted. So from also an early age, I was longing for a pet that I didn't get. Were the cats yours? No, they were my parents because I was really too little and okay. it was an outdoor cat. So he wasn't, it's just not the same when you have a cat that lives outside versus one that lives inside. You miss their personalities and you know, what makes them happy and what makes them mad. You just, you don't have the same relationship that you have with an indoor cat. So he just was kind of a peripheral being. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really ever played with him. Then we moved and I, I remember just begging for pets because I was an only child too and I just really wanted pets and I think I was in the first grade when my parents surprised me by getting me two kittens and their names were Pussy Willow and oh crap I'm forgetting the male's name I think we renamed him Scoshi too because we like that name but Pussy Willow is mine and they were outdoor cats though um, but I spent a lot of time playing with them and they were really friendly we moved and they still had to be outdoor cats because my grandfather was allergic to cats and I always wanted to bring them in especially when there were storms because it was really distressing for there to be like a big thunderstorm and my cats to be plastered up against the side sliding glass door wanting to come inside a lot of the time I got to bring them in then we were driving to school one morning and there was a dead cat in the road and it was my cat Pussy Willow. Mm -hmm. And then Scoshi was on his own and was lonely and I think had a pretty miserable life. And then he disappeared. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we got another cat and she was an indoor kitten and her name was, her full name was Foggy Bottoms. <laughs> Cause she was gray and fluffy. I've always, pretty much named them for their colors. Pussy Willow was that, she was a kind of a gray, like a Pussy Willow, mm -hmm. um, mixed colors. Anyway, so Foggy Bottoms lived inside. We still didn't know a whole lot about cats because I don't think anybody did really. I mean, they, people were just starting to have them inside. And I think she was lonely. I have a lot of guilt about my animals, even though I was a child at the time. But she was really sweet and played a lot, but she kept peeing on the carpet. So my mother ended up taking her to the Humane Society to get her rehomed. Anyway, that's what I was told. I'd like to believe that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Then when I was a little bit older, I think probably in the ninth grade, we got a purebred Himalayan kitten and her name was Champagne Truffle. <laughs> Her registered name was Sarah's Champagne Truffle, but I called her Sham. 
and she was truly my cat like this she slept with me she spent um her kittenhood uh in my bedroom you know whenever i was in there so she slept with me she ate in there her litter box was in there so she was really my cat and this was the first cat that i really got to know how smart they can be how funny they can be how sweet they can be tell me uh, something you remember about champagne truffle <laughs> tell me a funny story um, you know a moment where you said wow this cat can really have a funny personality yeah mm-hmm. well she did funny things she talked when she ate which was really cute and hysterical she liked when she was eating she liked, like I think a lot of cats do, shiny things, and she stole an emerald ring one time off of my bathroom counter. I didn't know she had taken it, but I was all set to get a metal detector to try and find it in the front yard because I thought I had dropped it out there. And then it occurred to me that maybe this little thief of a cat might have taken it, and she had. She had taken it off the bathroom counter, carried it, or batted it all the way down the hall down some stairs and into the living room and under a couch so so she was she was a clever little stinker and she liked to play and she really liked hanging out with me which was nice anytime i was reading she would come and get on the chair behind me up on the back of the chair and would drape her legs down either side of my neck like a stole and she would sit there until i moved basically just hanging out with me so what did she look like? So she was a, let's see, a blue point Himalayan, which looks like a Siamese cat with the kind of gray blue points. So she was fluffier. She had long hair. And she wasn't like show cat quality, which means that her face wasn't so smushed that um, she had like a flat face, mm-hmm. which was great. And I'm really glad that we didn't get a cat like that because it meant that she had fewer breathing problems and her tear ducts drained normally and so she didn't have a lot of those problems that purebred Persian and Himalayan cats have. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me about your next cat. Okay, the next one (laughs) was, we named her Guinevere and she was also a Blue Point Himalayan and she was, I guess, my mom's cat and she didn't have quite the same personality. I don't think she was as smart but she was very sweet and they kind of got along with each other. How old were you when you got? I think I was probably in the 10th grade. So we got Sham when I was in the 9th grade and got Gwen when we were in the when I was in the 10th grade. And then shortly after that, we got her <laughs> Oh, they have weird names. There was a the same Christmas that we got the next cat, I was given an antique uh, family heirloom. A perfume bottle that belonged to somebody in my family who was named Zilpha. Hmm. It had a Z on it. So I named the next cat Zilpha Pearl Draper. <laughs> and the pearl was because she was a, a, a lighter color and Draper because I'd never seen a cat like this that would, I don't, she would drape herself over everything and it didn't look at all comfortable or stable, but she would fall asleep that way with her rump, you know, 
six inches above her head. She would like perch on your knee and then drape herself down your shin sort of thing. But we didn't call her that. We called her Zipper. And the reason why they had those names was because you, they were purebred and so they had papers and you had to write in what their name was and people usually give them highfalutin funny names. And so those were my version of those kinds of names. And Zipper was tiny. So Sham is still alive at this point. Yes, you have three, all three of so them are three alive. Cats now. Okay. Yeah. So this is up and up through college. Yeah, um, we had them. I think we we didn't have all three of them when I left for college because, and this was where I really wish that we had been better educated about taking care of cats, because they were indoor only cats. We didn't get them fixed because we didn't want to put them at risk with the anesthesia. You know, it just seemed unnecessary. But what it meant was that they went into heat all the time. Mm. And that was really hard on their systems. And it actually, their fur started not being as healthy. And it also really irritates their urinary tract. And Gwen, in particular, would pee again. Mm. And so my mother found somebody who had, uh, like, vinyl floors who could take her. And so we ended up giving Gwen away, which, you know, was heartbreaking, but it was better than having her peeing all over the floors and everybody getting mad. And my mother had literally taken all of the carpet out of the house and had it cleaned and re restretched and put back in the house. That's a big job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wow. so we tried to make it work, but we, it, it just didn't, if we'd gotten them fixed, it very much wouldn't have been an issue. And I really wish that our vet had educated us about that better. So after high school, you went off to college. Did you have any pets while you were in college? No, I didn't. And I really missed my two cats at home. My parents weren't cat people. And they pretty much kept the cats in my mother's studio. They didn't get a whole lot of human interaction. They, you know, were taken care of. They had food and water and uh like a cat tree and nice windows and stuff, but they just weren't getting taken care of the way that I wanted them to be taken care of. So as soon as I graduated and my now husband, Eric, and I moved somewhere that we knew we were going to be staying for a while, I turned around and flew back to Texas to get them before we had even unpacked anything in our apartment. And I brought them back to live with us. Did you ever want a dog as a child? always (laughs) always and I'm actually really glad that I didn't get a dog because I would have even more guilt about how my animals had been taken care of because pretty much everyone I knew who had a dog either they didn't live inside or they were actually never even allowed inside and that meant that they spent incredibly hot summers outside I mean we're talking a hundred degrees and more and incredibly cold, bitter winters outside also. And they had dog houses and stuff, but it's still, you know, that's that's not the kind of existence that I would want an animal that I lived with to have. I realize now that a big reason why people, and probably the main reason why people had their uh, dogs outside is because there wasn't there wasn't anything like frontline or advantage. There were only um, flea and tick collars, which weren't really effective. Mm-hmm. So that meant that these dogs were covered in fleas, probably, and very likely had ticks. And that would be a really nasty thing to have in your house, uh, on your bed, on your furniture. I wouldn't have wanted that either. 
So I understand why they were outside dogs, but I'm really glad that we didn't have one, even though I really wanted one. Mm -hmm. And I had even picked out one at one point. There was a pet store in the mall, and there was a female chow puppy that I named. Her name was Dolly. And I think I was probably in junior high, and I desperately wanted her. I lobbied my parents for her. It turned out that my grandfather had been bitten by a chow, so there was no way my father was going to agree to me getting one. And again, I'm really glad that we didn't get one because I know that those dogs must have been from backyard breeders, puppy mill type situations, and she probably would have had a host of health problems. So it would have been a miserable situation, but I wanted one and would read about them, especially when I worked in the cataloging department of the county library. Any new book that came through about dogs and dog training, I would check out and read. Why didn't you have any pets in college? Because I was going back and forth between college and home, and I, it just wasn't a responsible thing to do. There wasn't anybody who could take care of them if I went away you know, on Christmas break or anything like that. Sometimes people had pets. There were people who had dogs. Again, I don't think that they were taken care of in a lot of situations the way they should have been. I just wasn't going to do that until I had a stable situation where I could take care of them the way I thought they should be taken care of. But I missed them. All right, so Sham and Zipper are now in the great Northwest with you and, and your husband, Eric. Right. How do they take to the move? Well, the journey itself was incredibly traumatic for all three of us. Um, and I, I like to plan. And despite all of my planning, things still were pretty horrible. I had bought my tickets, and I had bought the space for them to fly in the plane with me. And I was taking both of them with me in two separate carriers, full-size carriers. Then I get a call, I think from the airline or from the ticket agent, saying that there had been a mistake and that I wouldn't be able to take two carriers on, I would have to check one. And part of it was because to fly between Dallas and Midland, they don't take full-size planes anymore. So they're those little commuter planes and the space under the seat is too small for even a regular sized carrier. And it turns out that you're only, you were only allowed one carrier per person. Mm. So I was given the option of basically sacrificing one cat to being out you know in the luggage compartment and one cat inside and there was no way I was making that kind of decision about my cats so my really only solution was to get a smaller carrier and stick both of them in that carrier because there just was no way that I was checking one of my cats so I got the smaller carrier and I went to our vet and got all of the papers and, you know, was doing everything that I needed to do. And I got sedatives from her. And at her suggestion, I tried out the dosage before we even left and found what was the appropriate dosage for each cat, which was important because Zipper was the runt of the litter and she was tiny. I think she weighed about seven pounds. So I had figured out the dosage and I had the carrier and the day came and I stuffed them both into that carrier. Fortunately, they were small cats, and away we went. And we, the first leg of the journey on one of the commuter planes was 
stressful and there was yowling and everything and I don't like being the center of attention and so that was kind of stressful for me. What I didn't realize was that we were going to be getting off the plane out on the tarmac because it was too small to go up to the airport. That meant we had to go through security again. So security in Midland had been fine. They hadn't bothered me at all. Security in Dallas was another matter. And this woman who was running it refused to put the cats through the x-ray machine and started berating me in front of everybody and keeping me from getting my flight, telling me that I was going to give them cancer and she wasn't responsible for it. Um, that she, that I had to take the cats out and I was terrified that they'd get loose and I would lose them. And she continued to argue with me and I finally just insisted and she kind of screamed at me that then it was my fault and not hers if my cats got tumors. Then I had to take a tram to my next gate, which I was very late for. And the tram was this herky-jerky, horrible thing, and it was like a really bad amusement park ride. The cats were terrified. I was almost in tears at this point, and I had to go through security again. And I'm like almost crying at this point because I'm gonna miss my flight, and it's just bad. I get this really sweet guy who, he still, he didn't wanna run them through the x-ray machine, but he needed to check and I said, well, I can open this and you can, I can open this little door on the top and you can put your hand in there. And he looked at me like I was absolutely crazy because he didn't know that my cats were one sedated and two, like just little marshmallows of cats. And I said, well, I can move them around so that you can see in there. And he said, okay, do that. It was very nice. So I did that and he said, okay. And I, and this is before 9-11. I don't even know what would have happened if it had been post 9-11. So I closed them back up and I'm running, which is like the worst thing to do with a, a basket of cats. And I'm running for the plane. I am literally the last person on. Mm. I'm barely holding it together at this point. I sit down. The plane starts backing up as I'm still getting ready to like put them away and everything. And I put them under the seat in front of me and I get ready. The plane takes off and I want to check on the cats, so I slide them out, and Zipper is unresponsive. Like, she won't open her eyes, nothing's happening, and I'm starting to panic that I've killed my cat. So I'm, like, shaking, you know, rubbing her really hard, trying to get her to just open her eyes, and nothing's happening. So I pinch her a little, not too hard, just to try to get something, and nothing. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm pretty much going to have to tell the stewardess that I am just getting, I'm going to be doing mouth to mouth with my cat in the bathroom and she can just suck it if she has a problem with that because I'm not going to let my cat die. And I have the carrier out on my lap and I give Zipper one last really hard pinch because I'm, I really want her to wake up and she opens her eyes and lets out this little and I'm like, oh, thank God she's alive. So I put her back under the seat and we, it's like a three and a half, four hour flight. And we get to SeaTac and my husband, Eric, is there and I just lose it at that point. So 
never will fly with cats again ever and they kind of had their revenge although it wasn't malicious they exploded all over our apartment after we got them home for about two days everything came out of every end uh, they couldn't keep food down they couldn't keep water down just the stress from everything and probably the sedation I also they don't recommend that you sedate animals anymore um, so you don't want to do that if you're ever transporting your animals um, you really need to talk to your vet about that and avoid sedating them at all I really wish that I hadn't done that and just let them yell and irritate everybody around me but at least they would have been breathing the whole time and it sounds like you well have you had experience transporting via car moving from one place to another I haven't but my family has and I've you know asked lots of detailed questions about their experience with it my cousin moved across the country with a cat that pretty much had PTSD. Mm. She had found him halfway up a chain link fence as a kitten covered with fire ants that were basically killing him. Mm. And he would have these like flashback thingies. So he wasn't the easiest cat to travel with, but she did okay. The one thing, um, fortunately, I had heard about this from somebody and told her to keep it in mind when she was traveling with him to if she lost him ever in a hotel room to make sure that she checked the bed springs because a lot of times the uh, bed springs in hotels motels aren't in the greatest shape and the cover on the bottom has been torn and that's a place that cats will hide when they're in a new place Wow! and that is exactly what he did she woke up in the morning was getting ready to leave and she couldn't find him anywhere and was panicking and then remembered that I had mentioned that about the box springs. So she <laughs> pulled the mattress off of this a bed in this motel, flipped the, you know, started tilting the bed springs and there was her cat. So I was really wow. glad that I had, you know, heard about that. Yeah. Hmm. I would never fly our dog. I would never put her in the luggage compartment. I don't think I would, even the most well-adjusted animal, I don't think I would trust to the, to that whole thing so you have the cats home yep they explode all over the place yes but they settle down after a while yeah yeah tell me what happens next well we were fresh out of college I didn't have a job it was a recession and we had no money we were basically paying rent and feeding ourselves and that was about it so anything that needed to be done with the cats in terms of their health care and their upkeep had to be as um, frugal as possible so with their really long hair we had when i was growing up had taken them to a groomer there was no way i could afford to pay somebody to bathe and bl blow dry them and trim any mats or anything so i had to do that myself and that was interesting i learned a lot and i also learned that you really need to be careful about who you pick to be your groomer because it can be a really difficult job i love those cats dearly but I also would get really frustrated with them. I never hurt them, but I could see how somebody who wasn't attached to them could bop them on the nose or, you know, swat them for hissing at them or something like that. And I realized that we had been really lucky that they had not ever gotten hurt as far as we knew. So with these cats, it turned out it was way easier to keep them groomed if they got regular baths. And that was part of my compromise with my husband. He wasn't my husband at the time, but he had grown up with two cats and thought that when he went away to college, 
he was not going to be living around animals anymore because he was allergic to them. And then he met me and it did actually come down to uh, close to him saying it's me or the cats, but he knew he would lose <laughs> that I had a previous responsibility with the cats and that if push come to shove, I would probably pick the cats because I really felt deeply about my responsibility to them. And also I just couldn't imagine my life without them, without animals. So, but I wanted to compromise. So part of the compromise was that the furniture and everything would be vacuumed regularly and that the cats would get baths. So the first bath that I gave them, the whole thing would last a whole day because they had, they'd get bathed and then they'd have to be blow dried until they were completely dry. Because if you didn't, their undercoat would mat up almost like felt and there was no way you could comb that out. So it was an all day extravaganza of washing cream rinse because otherwise you get tangled and then blow drying them all day. Do cats like to be blow dried? They do not like to be blow dried. <laughs> they hate it. And we would be trapped in the bathroom because uh, I had to keep them in an enclosed space also where it was warm so that they wouldn't catch a chill. And I would dry them and then take a break and then dry them and take a break and dry them and take a break. And no matter what I did, there was always an explosion afterwards, which was pretty disgusting. They just, even with um, hairball remedy, they still would ingest so much of their own fur that it made them sick. Also, I don't think that these cats were exactly the most hardy cats around at all. So I learned how to groom them. And the other thing, we took them once to get their vaccinations. It was so expensive that I was just absolutely horrified. It was expensive enough that it probably meant that we didn't buy maybe as much meat that month. I mean, because we just couldn't afford it. So there, I had to look at other options. And I knew that people would vaccinate their own dogs. So I started finding out about how to vaccinate our cats. And I ordered the vaccines and the needles and the epinephrine if they had a bad reaction so that we could rescue them ourselves. You can't give a rabies vaccine, at least in Washington state. That's something that is monitored by the state. So it has to be done by a vet, but everything else you can give without a prescription yourself. And That's that saved us a lot of money. That. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it was pretty terrifying the first time I had never given an animal or anybody a shot. I'd gotten allergy shots, so I wasn't worried about it for myself, but to do it to my sweet babies, I was pretty terrified. And Eric and I had debated about whether he should do it or I should do it. And I decided I should do it because if he made them cry, I would be mad at him and he didn't deserve that. So I was all set to give Sham her vaccine for the first time. And I tried and her skin was so rubbery that the needle didn't go in and she just cried at me. So Eric became the one who gave the vaccines because I was I was too big a sissy to, to do it. Tell me about one of the memories you have of, of Sham and Zipper. Well, Sham was still very much my cat and she slept every night with me. Um, that was another thing that was supposed to be a compromise. The cats weren't supposed to be in the bedroom, but they ended up coming into the bedroom because I missed them. So Sham would curl up with me every single night 
in the same place and she slept with me every night of her life. Zipper was this funny little creature. She almost wasn't a cat. I don't know what she was, but she was an odd little animal who had curly whiskers. They were like corkscrews. They were the most amazing whiskers I'd ever seen. She punched paper. Um, she had this funny little tooth that hung down a little further than her other teeth and she would bite the edges of paper and we had joked about it, my parents and I, that she was kind of giving it her stamp of approval and um, my father has stacks of paper in his office. He still finds papers that Zipper had punched with her funny little tooth thing. She was a really, she was a sweet cat, tiny and a little strange. Sham was more of a normal cat. <laughs> Did you get more pets before Sham and Zipper passed away? No, um, Zipper, by this time we had moved to our house and um, Zipper started, I, I'm not sure how I knew it, but I knew something was wrong. And like a lot of cats, she had developed some kind of a kidney failure which is really common in cats. We tried to give her subcutaneous fluids, which means you set them down and stick a pretty big needle in their neck and hold an IV bag up to get as much fluid in them as possible to give their kidneys a break. She hated that and it made her really angry and we didn't want to do that to her. So we made the decision that we needed to euthanize her. And I say euthanize, because putting to sleep and those sorts of things, that isn't what we did. I think you should call a spade a spade. And what we did was we gave her a good death. And we didn't want to do it too soon. And we also didn't want to wait too long. And we had the best vet who, this was, this is the first time that I had ever experienced this. My parents had never euthanized a pet and I had never done it. And I didn't know anyone who had done it. So I was, kind of out there on my own on this. I didn't have any experience. But we had this amazing vet who said that um, she's very patient. She said that I would know when it was the right time. And she, I knew that a lot of vets would come to your house to euthanize your pets, which was what I wanted for a few reasons. One, I wanted to stress Zipper as little as possible. It seemed like the worst thing to do to her before we euthanized her was to take her to the place that scared her the most. And also, I wanted to be able to cry as much as I wanted to, and I didn't want to feel embarrassed in front of a lobby full of people. And I didn't want strangers telling me that they were sorry for me or anything like that, as kind as that might be. So when it became clear that she was really, it was the day. We took her outside so that she could be in the sun for the last time, which was really nice. It was something we loved about having the house. So we took her out back, and we took pictures of her, and it's going to make me cry. Um, and my husband, Eric, called the vet because I couldn't talk. And it's, I think, it's like nine years later and it still makes me sad. And our vet, who was Dr. Conger, came and Zipper was true to form. Um, usually they give them one shot to calm them down and then they... Uh, give them the shot that stops their heart and this teeny little kitten I mean she she would be mistaken as a kitten this teeny little cat was just so pissed off 
and I was holding her and our vet was apologizing because Zipper was growling and grumbling about the first shot and Eric and I were actually smiling because it was you know it was Zipper being true to form that these amazing scary sounds would come out of such a little body and then Dr. Conger gave her the shot that stopped her heart and I was holding her and you know it was really peaceful and I was crying and um, Eric was upset and I asked Dr. Conger, you know, was it okay if I held her for a while? And she was incredibly kind and said, yes, of course. So we sat there for a little while and let her go. And then Dr. Conger wrapped her up in a towel and took her. And we had her uh, cremated and picked up her ashes in this funny little urn where they glued the lid shut, which was weird and brought her home and I was really glad that we had done it that way because it was you know so much calmer and I got to cry um, and then we just had sham. Next week Sarah continues her story including adopting a cat who turned out to be a jewelry thief and the dog who was much more than she expected. If you'd like to learn more about Pet Project visit us on the web at petprojectblog.com and to be sure that you get the podcast every Monday, go to iTunes and subscribe. You can also become a fan on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another installment of the Pet Project Podcast.